Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on when you are listening to this podcast. My name is Sam, host of the Gauntlet Conservation Podcast, set up in the name of Gauntlet Conservation Trust to interview the people most involved with and supported by this wonderful charity. Now, what better way to start this series of podcasts and to interview the head of the charity, Graham, who is also the head of Gauntlet Birds of Prey in Knutsford, a collection devoted to educating future generations and teaching the people that ultimately are going to conserve our planet. In this episode, we aim to uncover the story behind how both the business and the charity have become what we know and love them as today. Enjoy. Alrighty, good afternoon Graham. thank you for joining us on today's podcast. Now, I thought for the pilot episode, really, we need to outline everything that this is about, why they've set this, why we've set this up, what we want to talk about. So really, I was hoping just to start out with the podcast, you could outline for us kind of how Gauntlet came to be, if you will. So why, why the centre exists, how the charity came to be a part of it, just why is everything as it is at the moment? Right, I'll try not to go at 100 miles an hour. So yeah, it basically, I, I was always a, a falconer from being a young lad. And um, I used to go and stay at various places and fly birds and learn as much about the art of it. And then in 1994, um, I got made redundant from my trade, which was, I was a mechanical engineer. And I'd done that from being a, a young 16 year old lad, uh, served my apprenticeship, uh, but I'd always flown birds and I used my money from my wages to, to fund my hobby, uh, flying loads of different birds and ultimately breeding sparrowhawks and flying them, which was really my passion. And then I, it, I went all over, I went to America, um, I went to India, flying birds, uh, Africa, and I met falconers all over and, and in Europe and was completely fascinated by the art of falconry. And um, in, when I got made redundant from engineering, I, I thought, what do I do? You know, do I carry on doing something I absolutely hate and, and really didn't get any value of life out of just for money? Or did I try and achieve something where every day I woke up and wanted to do it? And I decided in the end, life was too short. So that's when, in 1996, Good Friday, uh, 1996, I opened Gauntlet Bird of Prey to the public. And we started off with 14 birds of prey. Uh, barn owl, kestrel, buzzard, European eagle owl, uh, peregrine, uh, to name a few. And um, a pot-bellied pig called Sophie, a pygmy goat called Milky, and a really faithful dog called Tracy, a spaniel. And I opened the doors and I charged £1.50 and everybody thought I was barmy. Um, and uh, slowly but surely, in Nether Alderley, um, I built a centre and with my redundancy money from my engineering. And then really it went from there. And before I knew it, I was doing bird control solutions all over the country and then getting asked to work abroad. And then, as many of you might know, we got really heavily into film work and 
training birds for films and such like. Yeah, and then 25 years on, we've got what we've got today, which is close to 200 birds across over 60 species involved with some of the most heavy conservation work. So obviously we, we've got we've got the charity, the charity that runs along with the leg of the centre. So how, how long has that charity been going now? It's around about seven coming into eight years. And uh, it was literally, I thought, we were fundraising at the time for the Hawk Conservancy Trust and we were selling wristbands and um, they couldn't believe with how many wristbands I was selling between Gauntlet, Knutsford and um, Nosy Safari Park where we have our other base and we've been there for 16, going 17 years uh, where we, we used to just supply shows to them and then about 11 years ago, 12, they gave me the old farm and said, can you develop this and make it into a, a bird of prey um, area, display area where you could do shows and such like. And that's what we did. And so we sold the bands uh, for, in aid really of the vulture and uh, they just sold incredibly well. And I suddenly saw this money building. Um, and I started working just over 16 years ago in Africa. I got asked by the Orkins Trust to go and work on a project out there run by some South Africans monitoring African whitebacks. So the trip used to be each October for about 10 days and that that was like that and has been ever since. It's now got bigger and bigger over the last six, seven years. It's gone bigger and now we don't just work on a, a game reserve called Drumfield, now we work all over. Um, and I decided that all this work need, had all these public coming in who were generating income and it seemed daft not to um, to then sort of help fund our own projects and support projects out in Af South Africa. Um, so um, the trust was born and two very loyal members of our voluntary team, a guy called uh, Brian Peake and Nick Gutton, uh, they, um, they joined forces with me to do voluntary works to build aviaries and in their retirement really, in their early retirement. And um, I said to Brian, who'd run charities for years, would you help me set up a charity? And he goes, yeah, I'd love to. And that's literally what happened. We set up the charity and uh, it's gone from strength to strength with band sales, donations, legacies and fundraisers. And just all this money that goes out into Africa and all, all the work we do out there, like you, you go out there yourself annually. How, how long's that been going on? Well, 16 years, uh, sometimes twice a year. Um, I'm just getting packed now to go back out there um, and then six years ago I decided that I wanted to send a member of the team to another project so I'd go in October and they'd go November or even as late as January yeah so got, obviously Jake went there last year and uh, people that follow um, the Gauntlet social medias will have seen his trip then and will uh, probably be seeing about his upcoming trip um, in, in the next month so he goes in November yeah, does he that's correct yeah, yeah so um Hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll be getting a lot from that as well, which I'm quite excited for. Hopefully get Jake on the podcast when he gets back on back from that. And, yeah, I think you're talking about his trip out there. Full of tales, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. So would it be fair to say that the, the goal of the charity ultimately is to just put back into conservation, to, to protect the birds in the wild? Yeah, I think more than... I think our education programme here at Gauntlet is quite extensive and has been for... 20 well the, the century is 27 years old it'll be 28 next year next april um and the goal really is to bring wildlife to people because uh, i'm a great believer that if you don't 
if you get people to love something, then ultimately in the long term we'll protect it. And that's a legacy that really Gauntlet needs to have. We, we've got these beautiful birds we use in the shows and we build these incredible relationships with them. And then it seems a real shame that, that if we don't, they don't represent those ones in the wild and we don't actively do good. So we are involved in other projects. We've been involved in the, the, the Kestrel monitoring programme in the UK. The European Kestrel is, has dropped quite significantly in numbers. Um, and we've done other little projects along with you know, rescue centres and such like. Um, but um, we really do want to broaden Gauntlet Conservation Trust you know, oh. we want to broaden, broaden it right out and maybe go more doing more in situ uh, in the UK uh, projects and stuff like that. That that would be absolutely incredible, I'm sure. So I'm going to ask you to, to delve into your memory a little bit here. I want you to pull out one of your favourite memories from your time working in Africa. Like you say, you've worked there quite some time now. What is one of your absolute favourite memories from your time working there? I think every single time a bird gets lifted, a, a young bird, these are birds that are getting pre-fledging. Uh, we go out in October because the birds are normally getting into the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth week. So they're pre-fledging, ready to leave the nest. And um, from the very first time I climbed a tree and saw that chick, a wild animal on top of her nest, for the first time I went eyeball to eyeball with it, it was almost like, seeing the most valuable thing in the world. Um, people class, you know, money as, as, as an object. That isn't, it's, money is a tool to achieve stuff. Uh, but for me, the values of, from a kid's being born, which was the most incredible experience, followed by a vulture, I've bred many birds and hatched many eggs in captivity, but seeing a wild animal that, um, really you're trying to help ultimately by monitoring and learning more about its habits and and building people's awareness of of the plight of the vulture now which has gone horrendous really um but it isn't just vultures it's everything else and i think if you if you introduce people to animals and children um where's that going to take us you know hopefully the more people that love them more more protection comes in and making people aware of the plight of animals is amazing you know yeah and Obviously, um, quite a good thing to point out, actually, is obviously going through the school year. Obviously, Gauntlet is closed on certain days, but on those certain days, we quite often get school groups coming in because, again, going back to what you're saying about, about younger generation, the, the younger people really are kind of the important ones here because they're the future. They're the ones that are going to ultimately be responsible for protecting them in the future. So it's just kind of to, to, to push that message to those, to those school kids and those school groups that, that you're getting on your days off, really, isn't it? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I think my love of... A birds of prey started when I was in my very early years, five, six, seven. I was fascinated by them at the zoo, and I'd go to the Welsh Mountain Zoo, and a guy, Jack Mabagata, would be there and doing the shows, doing the very, very first of the, the shows as we know, bird of prey shows. And I just remember being absolutely transfixed. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't. My mum and dad just couldn't drag me away, and. I used to climb fences and stroke birds and do some all the sort of stuff that perhaps everybody didn't want the kids to do, but I just literally used to do it. It was just a magnet, um, and then it, it. no, <laughs> no, it was just an obsession really. And uh, I then become greater and greater as the years gone by. But 
it's the most rewarding I always say working with animals is is has the greatest highs but the worst lows you know you get so attached and so close to become family really and um, some of the birds become family and uh, you literally wake up and see them in the morning and then you know you check them before you go to bed overnight and it's massive so one thing i would um like to point out as well quite a big success for gauntlet in in recent years um a little over a year ago um you hatched your first baby hooded vulture one of the most critically endangered animals on the planet which again go, going back to what you were saying earlier uh, working out in Kimberley and Dronfield is actually where his parents get their names from I assume those regions we work with out there yeah. so um talk to us about that a bit because that's obviously quite a big, big yeah, success for you isn't it that was massive yeah I mean it was massive we'd, we'd, we'd left hooded vultures to rear their own for a number of years and uh, and we we had triumphs and you know and but we, we hatched a young, we decided last year to to take one of the eggs, uh, well, they only laid one egg, um, to take that egg and actually artificially incubate it and hatch it. We gave their mum and dad a, a dummy egg um, to see if they maintained it brood because when a bird's sat on an egg, it, the female becomes very broody and the male will add in the brooding of, of incubating the egg and they take it in turns. And when you, you really, you're out and you want to get that baby out, you take the egg and put it into a more controlled environment. Um, having said that, mum and dads are the best incubators and rearers of anything, far better than human can ever do. But with it being a first egg and being so precious, we didn't want to run any risk of, of, of losing the egg with mum and dad being clumsy or such like. So we made the decision to take the egg. We left them with a dummy egg, and it was a good decision we made because after about 14 days, 15 days, mum and dad lost, went off brood and they left the dummy egg. Um, and so we'd made the right decision, and then 46 days later, or 50, I, look, I have so many different eggs that are hatching at different times, but I'm sure it's about 46, or it might be 56. But anyway. Um, Waited and weighing the egg, and uh, I have a heart rate monitor, so I was monitoring the, the egg's heart rate. And um, they drop the heart rate drops before they're due to come out of the egg, and uh, that was all following the right tracks. And then that, that chick actually hatched, and uh, it, what a, an incredible feeling to see this little vulture, which is like you say, quickly endangered. Yeah, it made it all, and he's a fantastic maverick as we called him he's a fantastic um ambassador for uh, for vultures very much so during the team he is and, and just rewinding a little bit just for the people that don't know when you say the parents that came off the dummy egg you, you made the good decision to take the egg because if that was still the egg you, you would have lost it 100 percent. That yeah that's exactly it yeah and and now um there's something we would call a proven pair which basically means that they, they work and you know that they can have young together which is great so Gotta pull you away from vultures a little bit because something that's really intrigued me recently and, and I know is kind of a plan for the future is just involvement in whitetails, whitetailed sea eagles going around the country. Obviously, we had Gary Jones do a talk at our members' evening uh, that we run at Gauntlet. Um, he did a talk at our members' evening recently, and, and you were saying about realistically in the future we, we want to get a lot more involved with it around the UK. Without a doubt, yeah. I mean, whitetails uh, are. A fish eagle 
um, any fish eagle in captivity, being bred in captivity, they, they can be quite volatile little creatures. Um, they tend to find that the, the female can be quite aggressive to the male. And when you look at the dimorphism, the, the size difference between the males and females, the male's about a third smaller than the female. Now the pair we put together was, it's a female I flew for many years, well 13 years. Uh, she was in the shows pretty much every day. And she was one bird that wouldn't have time off. Even though you used to give her time off, she'd just scream at me and let her out. And we tend to give the birds time off so they can molt and just catch up. And loads of, most of the birds love it. It's really good for their well-being and such like. But Pam was just one of those birds that just seemed to fire against it. So we just went for her wish. So we flew her for 13 years. And then she started to, in her aviary, starting to make a, a nest and uh, and I thought, well, the signals are there. We knew she was getting close to it because she was becoming more vocal. So we managed to find a, a bird from Germany. We we tried her with the first bird, which didn't go very well. She didn't. They didn't get along, and they wouldn't sit with each other. And then we got offered another bird from Germany, and uh, we were, we were lucky enough to get him. And uh, we put them together, and uh, really didn't expect much because he was a young bird. Pam was 13, I mean, they can live up to 20 plus in the wild in captivity, you know, you can be talking 30, 30 odd years of age. So she was relatively young in the grand scheme of things. Um, so we put her with this male, but this male was only just coming in at five years of age. And we really, and they don't sexually mature till they get to five, six years of age. Well, being with a, an older woman, shall we say, must have clicked a few things in his head and they, they actually bred with him being together um, they got put together in the December and uh, we had our first egg uh, at the beginning of April which oh, we, were, we were blown away by it That's we just crazy. did not expect it but we didn't know it was fertile because we'd heard all the vocalities but we hadn't caught them in the act as to put it um, and so they laid one egg and then 56 hours later they laid another egg and 56 hours later they laid another egg and they were sat on them and my son Jake and me had a job down in London uh, taking a battle of eagle to a film job and we were travelling down and we'd literally checked them very early in the morning about four in the morning and Jake said I don't think we've lost one of the eggs I said what why what's happened he said I've seen it on the camera the one of the the three eggs one of them's been kicked out by the parents and looks like it's got a crack in it so we went mm, right okay right what do we do so jake said i think what we do is we um we get back when we get back from london we take one of the eggs so we can see whether it's fertile and, and establish whether they have gone through the yeah. cup the coupling the cycle and uh, we got back quite late from london and uh, climbed up to the nest um, as much to mum's disgust and dad as it turned out and we took one of the eggs and by that time we um we were on a we're, we won't be able to, we wouldn't be able to tell whether the egg was fertile until about seven days and we do something called candling where we shine a very bright light through the egg and uh, if there's blood vessels they show up and we know there's an active embryo growing so we decided that we'd take one of the eggs which we did we wouldn't check it for another two, three days and give it to it was about nine days old and then we we definitely know. So you can imagine an egg 
in the incubator. I didn't sleep. Um, I just didn't sleep. No, just days. not knowing. Kind just of being in the dark. Yeah. Yeah. Buzzing. Highs. Is it? Is it? No, it might not be. And it. And I thought, and like we said, what was meant to be was meant to be. Yeah. Anyway, nine days come, and we uh, shone the light through it, and it was embryo. There was a growing embryo. There was vessels. I couldn't. So we put it on the, the heart monitor and we were getting a heartbeat. We were buzzing. Anyway, we watched, we endeavoured to watch mum and she was just getting rougher and rougher with the remaining egg. So Jake climbed and, and got the egg out. And he did have a slight mark on it. We thought it was a quite a serious crack, but it turned out not to be. Anyway, the long and the short of it was those birds, we hatched those two chicks out uh, and we had to hand rear them because we had no foster parents that we could put them with. Yeah. Mum had then come off brood, wasn't interested in reproducing, which quite often happens with the first cycle of eggs. And um, we crash reared them. But instead of them being, we, I didn't want them 100% imprinted, so we used a puppet and the puppet uh, fed it. And uh, yeah, they, they did incredibly well. Well, the story does go somewhere because we then wanted to look for suitable, we wanted to keep one of them because it was our first white tail we'd ever bred. Uh, and we wanted to fly him because obviously our flying one was his mum and she was now in a breeding programme yeah. and a, a proven pair. Yeah. So we um, we started flying Manny and Manny was a young one. Um, the other one went to the English School of Falconry or, or English English Bird of Prey Centre. I'm sorry if I don't mean to offend you, but he went to I deal with so many different people. But anyway, he went and they were going to use this, it turned out to be a female, to represent the, hopefully, the future release programme in Wales, uh, in South Wales. And so this bird was going to go around, be used for flying demonstrations, but also to build up the profile. So whitetails, hopefully, at some stage, will be released into Wales. So our dream is to build on this. This year, we've bred three, three whitetails, we gave them to our bald eagle to be a foster mum. I was going to say, quite an intriguing foster mum. We had, um, she's she's the mother of um, the bald eagle that you fly fly here, Holly, isn't she? So, That's right. Um, for those of you that have been to Cortlet, you'll have seen Holly on our flying shows. Her mum was, was the foster mum for these white tails, wasn't she? Yeah, that was an incredible thing. We made the decision that we had the first clutch was two eggs. So we made the decision to lift those two eggs and to let, the bald eagle rear them. But the bald eagle is near at Gawler. He's a friend of mine's uh, place and uh, down in the Cotswolds. And we had to travel these fertile eggs taken from mum. So in theory, you get your incubator, have it running with your inverter in your car. You set up the back of your car, as I did with about 30 cushions and make it as soft for any bumps in the road over the eggs and not yeah, going to get a jug. Just, just basically shock, yeah, shock and them. Yeah, and them in. And then we have to turn them every 20 minutes. So Jake had the job of being there with the incubator and every 20 minutes rotating the eggs so the embryo doesn't stick to the inside of the egg. Now, we probably could have gone away with less than that rotation, but we knew mum was pretty accurate on her turning and yeah. the incubator was as well. So we thought we'd better we couldn't have the turning mechanism in the car so we just had the incubator so I've got to say 
that morning when I said to Jake, right, it's time to get up, we've got to take these eggs, I suddenly said to him, what have we done here? We've got to travel them 140 miles. Quite some distance. And, yeah. uh, and we've got to then go in an aviary with a, a, a male and female bald eagle who are very protective of their, this year, one egg. Uh, they only had one egg this year. Last year they had three babies and this year they had one egg. Um, and we were then going to give her two more eggs to look after. And we just said, are we doing the right thing here? And what are we doing and everything? But everything was there. We'd done the heart rate monitor on the eggs before we left. It, they had good heart rates, strong heart rates. We made a decision if they didn't have strong beats, then it wasn't fair traveling yeah. the egg. Yeah, so we, made, we thought everything, the science of it was all in place. We had a good setup. We had, we thought about the eggs. They were everything was there to support them. Everything you could do, yeah, basically. everything, yeah. and it, we really were. So we drove there and uh, went in the Avery, as much to Mum Bald Eagle's disapproval. And Couldn't once she realised it was me putting the eggs there, she was all right. She's I've known her for a long, long time. She's called Sue, and she's she's a bird that I've had for oh, probably. 17, 18 years, so I'm very close to her. So as soon as she saw it was me climbing into her nest, there was an element of trust. So we put the eggs in there as quick as we could and then left them and it was up to her and she started incubating them and looking after them as good as she did of old eagle. Uh, yeah, I was quite fortunate. Um, it is worth mentioning as well, she said we had three whitetails this year but only two went off to the Cotswolds. One was a bit of a late comer, wasn't he? Yeah, he was a second clutch and we weren't really expecting him when we thought we'd leave them with mum. Um, and she was doing all right, but the the male, uh, being younger, um, he's still got something to prove, and we felt that uh, he was the one being rough. But to be honest with you, we gave them dummy eggs uh, to sit on and play around with, and it was really the best move we could have made because subsequently since taking the fertile egg that we then ended up hatching and puppet feeding and rearing um he has um really changed he's matured and he really he started sitting the dummy eggs as good as as pamela um so we've made the decision that next year no eggs will be lifted they will have their eggs and go through the cycle and they're successful or successful it's got to be a learning curve they are definitely matured as a couple so yeah. And yeah, like you said, now they've matured, you think they're, they're, they're fully able to care for the eggs themselves, hopefully. Very much. Um, with this proven pair as well, um, obviously you mentioned about the reintroduction programs, that female that was, was born alongside Manny, Manny's sister, went off to raise awareness and hopefully for those reintroduction programs, that's hopefully something that our pair can, can contribute to. Maybe, awesome yeah. To put I think, I think that's a, a long-term goal. Um, it's, a, it's a bit of a dream goal, I think, the, yeah. you know, the bureaucracy and red tape that there is in releasing stuff is massive. Uh, translocation is a very desirable thing, but I think that there is a place for captive bred birds being reared by a mum and dad whitetail at a five weeks. There is, you know, chances where nest sizes are, where a wild pair maybe has one baby or two babies could take another one to make up three of these in abundance of food. I think, again, that's all down to science and what the the, the powers that be um, make decisions. But that's something we would definitely 
want to be involved if that was becomes an opportunity so it's very much a possibility it's just about the opportunity and the, the, the bureaucracy of it, basically. Yeah, and and for the scientists to agree with, you know, everything's yeah. got to be in place. That yeah. that we know the breeding of our birds is is second to none. As in the parents, we know they're from very very good bloodlines. So yeah, it'd be lovely to think. It would. So um, just to round off with our pilot episode today, I was wondering if you could just talk to us a little bit about the plan, sort of where you want both both the business as Gauntlet Birds of Prey to go and, and in terms of reaching out, educating people, like say conservation, it, it works through education. The more people that know there's a problem, the more something can be done about it. But then for, for the charity as well, what if there's anything else, like we've just mentioned the white tails, is there anything else that you want to get involved in or kind of, you know, you're at the helm of the ship being, being the head of both. So where do, where do you want that ship to go? I feel like over the years to come, I'd like to to look at what comes in, the people that join the organisation and see the development of the organisation over the years that I've been at the helm, as you put it. I'd like to then see where the, the new ideas go. Um, I think the what where I wanted to be was I wanted to achieve uh, connection out in Africa because it's just a place I've always loved. And I, I think a lot of our key species that we work with here are from Africa. So I think we can tell an African story, which I think excites a lot of people. But I think there's also a place for a, a, a European story as well with the species we've got. So I, I guess I'd like the interpretation of the, the younger people who are part of the, of the organisation to, to then start to lead that further forward rather than what are you thinking? My ideas are, I've done, um, and yeah, I'll happily be involved and help and support, but I think the new ideas are what are going to drive the next 27, 28 years. Here. I think Absolutely. people have got to, you know, this is this place has proven itself in the 27 years, mm-hmm. and that it's a, there's a need for it, and that we certainly can offer the opportunities so it'd be nice now to drive it with the younger people and see where we can drive it to you know or they can drive it to yeah i will that's absolutely fantastic so i'd just like to thank you for coming on and hopefully um being the pilot episode of this podcast we're hopefully going to get a lot more of our, our partners like you say you've made many friends over the years many people that hopefully um we can get on to do their own their own various bits and pieces but yeah, I'd like to thank you for, for taking the time with us today. Thank you very much. Well, thanks for asking. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. I really do hope you have enjoyed it and you've learned something new. If you would like to find out more, please visit for the charity, www.gauntletconservationtrust.org or for the business, www.gauntletbirdsofprey.co.uk or simply visit the collection and speak to the staff team for yourself at Gauntlet Birds of Prey, Manchester Road, Knutsford, WA16 0SS.